Well, good morning. Good morning. Tim and Chris and Mark and I were in my office, and we always get together and pray before the service, and we were just talking like nothing was happening at 8.30, and uh, I looked down and had three minutes to get over here, so I'm sorry I didn't get to shake hands and say hello to everybody. We are glad that you're here, and we welcome you to First Baptist. The choir to handle that, the job you have all around. I appreciate that. Just want to see if they were listening last week. What'd you say? There's some things in the Bible about lying, and we'll just. If you will notice um, in your worship guide, um, several things. The new discipleship um, university study begins this Wednesday night. Um, I've been teaching the Psalms, but. Dr. Fuller will come and teach. He's going to teach the first six chapters of Daniel, and it'll be up in um, B, what is that room now? Um, B what? 213. I always call it the big room upstairs. We've changed so many Sunday school classes. I, it's, it used to be the Douglas class, and then the minor class, and then the skeleton class, and now it's the minor class, and so the big room upstairs. And, um, and then you can also see some things about the picnic in the springs and the fall festival coming up, and then also the backpack ministry. Let's make sure we take care of those needs. But we're glad that you're here. Are you ready to worship? Why don't you stand up and move around and greet some folks? Do you mind if we do a different call to worship today? I'm going to anyway, but I was going to be nice and ask you. Instead of reading that loud, I want you to hear these verses. Um, 1 Chronicles 29. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly and said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is the word of the Lord. That's 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 10 through 13. What a beautiful reminder. Let's pray together. Would you join me? Father, we come before you, and everything that David said, we say amen to. And we thank you. And even as we sing in a moment of your holiness, as we read in the scriptures and come to your word, we just thank you, Father. You are a good, good Father. 
And we praise you and we want to worship you today as you deserve to be worshiped. Thank you for laughter. Thank you for songs. Thank you that we can rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And so we pray even today that you would strengthen those who are hurting and you would lift up those who are, who are down. And Lord, that you would help us to be the people you've called us to be. Bless this time as we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just remind you that um, what we're doing, somebody asked me the other day why we were reading um, random passages of Scripture on Sunday morning. And I said, well, you must have missed the, the announcement because I said what we're doing is taking one passage of Scripture from each book of the Bible and making our way through it and trying to do that. So that's why we're doing the way we're doing it. And Terry Chisholm is going to come with arm and sling and ready to read the Word of God. Come on, Terry, read our Word. Good morning. I'm reading this morning from Zephaniah 3, 17 through 20. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in. At the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's stand and raise our voices in worship to Almighty God as we sing Holy, Holy, Holy.
Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you and we praise you. We just confess, as we have sung, that you are indeed holy, holy, holy. And because of your redemption, because of the salvation that you have given to us freely, you earned it for us. Because of that, we will behold you. We will see your face. And we will be with you forever. Until that time, I pray that we would continue to worship you and be obedient to you. I thank you again, Lord, for the gift of music. We thank you for the gift of your word. And as we come to it, we ask that you would speak to us. You know the pain in the room. You know the hurt. Lord, I just, I lift my brother Ronnie to you. And even as he's struggling with the loss of Rita, now with his mom, I just pray, God, just strengthen him. Thank you for her life. And, and God has prayed that you would be with him and be with the foster family in these days. You know other needs that are here. And we lift them to you, Father, and we pray that you would that you would be real among us, that you would manifest yourself to us, and that we would be blessed because we've been here through the music and now through your word. Bless this time, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 5. While you're turning, we always like to rejoice with those who rejoice. Miss Julia Thunderbird's here with Luke, and they got engaged since they were here last. And so just publicly, we want to congratulate you on that. And um, Julia, you always make your daddy look better when you're sitting next to him. And so they clapped for that. Or could you see that? So, uh, but uh, congratulations. It's about time, Luke, to get that ring. But no, um, they're finishing school and doing all those things. And so next year, uh, getting married. So congratulations for that. If you're able to stand and honor the reading of God's Word, your outline says verse 11, but I've changed it on Thursday. We're going to go through verse 12. And so, he said, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, my sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. So in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, we found the rich outside of the church. Again, I believe for the first time in the book of James, he addresses those outside of the church. The rich outside of the church were oppressing the poor who were in the church. 
many of those probably were the Sadducees and other religious leaders that were persecuting the early church. And they scattered. And we saw that James is writing to the scattered church, scattered because of persecution. But today, or in verse 7, he begins to, he begins to tell us how to react to that suffering. How do we deal with depression? How do we deal with persecution as a church? When we're persecuted and oppressed and we suffer because of righteousness, because we're living and following after Christ. It's amazing again to see how James comes full circle. He starts this in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he goes on to talk about that endurance produces and, and, and walks through and then tells us to pray for wisdom. So it's amazing that James has come full circle. And if you'll remember last week, what we saw is that James tells us three things. That we're to be patient, to be ready, and to be holy. Be patient, be ready, be holy as you are enduring the persecution, waiting for the second coming of the Lord. In our text, he gives us two examples. Very simple outline. I'm going to add a third point because we're, we're coming to verse um, 12 this morning, and I had not planned on that. But two very um, simple points. The example of the prophets. And you can go ahead and figure it out if you like to fill it out ahead. The next one is the example of Job. Okay? But the example of the prophets. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. So James is talking about suffering. He's talking about the need for patience. And he turns around and reminds us of those who suffered for speaking. Those who suffered for speaking in the name of the Lord. We had three groups of people mainly in the Old Testament that we follow. The prophets, the priests, and the kings. We, we've said some about the kings, but the priests were represented, the people who represented the people before God. They went on behalf of the people before God. The high priest, Monday is, is, is the day of atonement um, in, in Jewish tradition, Yom Kippur. And, and, and on that day, on Monday, as we, as we now celebrate what Jesus did for us, but that high priest would go into the Holy of Holies representing the people. They would intercede for the people. They would make sacrifices for the people. They, they would go again to that Holy of Holies and make atonement for the people. The, the priests represented the people before God, but... But the prophets, they represented God before the people. The prophets were multi-layered in their actions. They had action. They carried it out. They, they spoke and they advised. They would advise the people. They would often advise the king, especially in examples like Isaiah. Their, their message was from God. But their message was not always accepted, was it? As a matter of fact, the prophet's message was rarely appreciated. They suffered greatly because they served God. And that's the example Joe, James holds before us. He's holding before us men who suffered because 
they served God. James holds this before us, reminding us that when we serve God, when we live holy lives, when, when we live as light in the midst of darkness, the world will not always appreciate it. And they will rarely accept it. The world tends to pick up the cross and either follow Jesus with us or take up hammers to nail us to it. The world rarely appreciates the message of the cross. Hebrews 11 gives us the example of the, we call it the hall of fame of faith. But at the end of Hebrews 11, verses 36 through 38, we find these words. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. You look at those verses. That's the prophets. Daniel thrown into a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego thrown into the fire. Isaiah, you see here in Hebrews that, that he says they were sawn in two. Tradition says that Manasseh, that wicked king, had Isaiah sawn in half. Jeremiah, you read that book, he's beaten, he's placed in stocks, he's sentenced to death, he's thrown into a muddy cistern to die. Why? Because he spoke the truth and he confronted sin. Elijah, we'll study him next week. He, he does great things, but Jezebel, that wicked queen, is set out to kill him, and he hides in the wilderness. We could go on and on, but it's no wonder that Stephen, that first deacon, said in Acts chapter 7, verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. The key is in James to see that the prophets were being persecuted for representing God to the people. The early Christians were persecuted by the Jews for saying that Jesus was God, for saying that Jesus was the Messiah. They were persecuted by Rome for saying that Jesus alone was Lord. They served God, and they suffered as a result. But they were patient, and they waited on God. Why? Hebrews eleven sixteen. in the middle of that chapter says, But as it is, they desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. The prophets suffered and they endured because they desired a better place. They were looking toward heaven. It takes us back to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5. Right at the end of the Beatitudes. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look at those words. Those are the words of Jesus. I'm afraid with the political culture of our day that we've lost sight of the fact that the church will be persecuted. We're so afraid of being persecuted. The Bible says that we will be persecuted and we will suffer. And when it comes that we are to rejoice when it happens. We must turn our eyes to the kingdom. We've got to be kingdom people. Our eyes on the beloved son. And we serve him and and we're patient until he comes. Even if we must give our lives. He gives us the example of the prophets. But then he gives us the example of Job. Behold, we considered Those, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. The prophets were held in high honor because they were steadfast. And then he says, you've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord. How the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Don't you wish he hadn't put Job in there? Think about Job. What can we learn from Job? Maybe it would be best to turn in your Bibles back to that book, Job. And let's learn from him for a moment. What can we learn from him? Job 1.1 There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. One who feared God and turned away from evil. That's the man James is talking about. Blameless and upright. Feared God. Turned away from evil. He was rich. He was rich in family. Look at verse 2. Seven sons and three daughters. He was rich in verse 3 in possessions. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, many servants. And then look what it says. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. He was faithful. Faithful to God. Faithful to his family. Look at verse 4. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house. each Each one on his day. So the sons and daughters would go and eat together, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. He would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job has said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Look what he says. Thus Job did continually. He was faithful to God. And then you come to verse 6. 
Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And they're talking, and Jesus, God, is, is, in, is, 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 is speaking to Satan about where he's been. And, and he says in verse 8, Have you considered my servant Job, that there's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan says, Does he fear God for no reason? You've put a hedge around him. You can read in verses 10 and 12 that he says, If you take that hedge away, He'll curse your face. So God allowed the hedge to be removed. And you start reading in verses 13 through 19. Four blows come to Job. Gut-wrenching blows, you can imagine. Oxen and servants stolen. He could replace them. Fire from heaven come down and burn up sheep and servants. He can replace the sheep, not the servants. Camels are stolen. He can replace the camels. But then all of his children are killed in a storm. All at the same time, one after another, blow after blow, the hedge is removed and Satan attacks. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he wants to do in our life. How does Job respond? Look at verses 20, chapter 1. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground. We expect that. That's mourning. But look what he said. And worshiped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. That's steadfastness. Satan again, chapter 2, comes and accuses Job. He says, you let me have his flesh. Flesh for flesh, you let me have his flesh. He'll curse you. And God allowed it. Sores and boils from head to feet sitting in an ash heap. Three, quote, friends come. They do really well to start with. They don't say a word, but then they begin to accuse him. And, and even his wife, his wife comes and says, why don't you curse God and die? And yet he refuses to walk away from God. It's true, Job expresses his misery, and that's okay. It's true that Job confronts the advice of his friends. He, he comes after them when they attack him. He cries out in confusion to God, who wouldn't? We know chapters 1 and 2. We know that God allowed it to happen, but Job has no idea why this is happening. He's been faithful to God, and, and yet it seems like God himself has turned on. That's not what has happened. We know from the other side. But we come all the way to chapter 38, and the Lord answers Job. He answers him out of the whirlwind. I had a friend one time that said, I don't like the God of the whirlwind. I do. I'm comforted by the God of the whirlwind. I'm comforted at my suffering has purpose. 
I'm comforted that my pain has a plan. If it was happening for no reason, I don't think I could endure. God comes to Job, and he begins to ask him question after question after question. All the way through chapter 38, 41 verses of questions. All the way through chapter 39, 30 verses of questions. And then the Lord said to Job, chapter 40, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I'm of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I've spoken once. I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then the Lord answered out of the whirlwind and said, and he began to come again. 24 verses of it. Chapter 41, 34 verses of it. He comes after him. And then we come to chapter 42. And Job is a changed man. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is it that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and speak. I will question you. You make it known to me. And then verse 5, here it is. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself. And repent in dust and ashes. God, you see in verse 7, goes on to chastise Job's friends. He speaks, he says, Job, Job has spoken rightly of me. Learn from that in your grief. You can question God. You, God's big enough for your questions. He says he's spoken rightly of me, and he requires those friends to ask Job to pray for them, to ask Job. But I want you to know something. We always look at Job, and we, we look through it, and we see how Job is restored at the end. But our Ken Hughes said this. He said, why Job has said, but my eyes see you. He's still on the garbage heap. He's still covered with running sores. Flies still feed on him. His wife still loathed him. All of his possessions are still gone. His children were still dead. But he had been infinitely blessed. For Job saw God as he had never seen him before. That's the point of Job. He suffered like no one may be the side of Calvary. But he saw God. And he was blessed. When we look at Job's life and we come back to James, when we look at Job's life, it's, it's hard to see how the Lord is compassionate and merciful to Job, isn't it? But make sure you see that restoration of Job and understand that the restoration was secondary. Hear me. The return of the possessions and the restoration of more children, that was 
secondary because Job, through a suffering, has a new view of God. A new view of God. And I think Job could understand why James would write, Consider all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness leads to our being mature and complete, lacking in nothing. Originally, I had intended to stop at this verse and take up verse 12 next week. But I think the more I studied it, we, we've got to see the connection he talks about our speech in verse 12. The, the prophets were persecuted for what they said. They spoke in the name of the Lord and they were persecuted. Job is often studied on the basis of what he says. Job's three friends are, are, are studied on the basis, and even the fourth friend, Job's friends, are studied on the basis. His wife is studied on the basis of what they said. And while God puts Job in this place, when he speaks to his friends, he says that Job was right in what he said. He commends Job for what he said. Why? And here's the thing. Job didn't understand it, but, but in the persecution, in, in the oppression of Satan himself, Job doesn't stop searching. He doesn't stop praying. He doesn't stop seeking God. He, he never loses sight of God, even on the ash heap. I think verse 12 is simply saying, here's your third point. Be faithful in what you say. Be faithful in what you say. Live in such a way that you don't have to swear. He's, he's not saying in this context that you don't take an oath before court. He's not saying those kind of things. There are other places in the Bible where they took oaths. Even Paul took oaths. What he's saying is just be faithful. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I was talking to one of our judges the other day and he said, it's just amazing how... How even in the courtroom, honesty has no value. Be like the prophet. Be like Job. But can I just say, most of all, be like Jesus. Ray Pritchett, I, I love to go back and just get some application from him. He said, Jesus never cursed, yet he was cursed by God the Father. He became a curse for our cursed race. He who never sinned became sin for us. He who, who never blasphemed was treated as a blasphemer. He who died for murder. He who died for the murderers. Who even the murderers who murdered him. Be like Jesus. No matter what come. Suffering. Persecution. Oppression. Be faithful, even in what you say. Be faithful. I, I don't want to lose everything. I shudder to think of losing a child. 
Holly is in the pediatric intensive care unit at Vanderbilt Hospital nursing. And she calls from time to time. They lost a baby that day or lost a baby that day. I can't, I can't imagine. I don't want to lose everything. I, I don't, I don't want to lose my wife. I don't want to lose my children. I don't, I don't want to face the sufferings of Job. I don't want to face the sufferings of the prophets. But even in those trials, even in the sufferings, you need to know that God is merciful and compassionate because he's making us more like Jesus. If you had to suffer everything to see God, it's worth it. It's worth it because he's God. And we can endure on this earth any kind of tribulation because he is preparing for us a place. He's preparing for us a better city. There's a great scene. I quoted C.S. Lewis last week. Let me quote Tolkien today. It's at the end of The Lord of the Rings. If you've seen the movie, it's good, but take the time to read the book. It'll take you a while. Read the book. The ring has been destroyed. Two little hobbits, Frodo and Sam, have been rescued. They've been taken back, and Sam awakes, and he sees Gandalf. Gandalf, he said, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What has happened to the world? Gandalf said, a great shadow has departed. And Tolkien said, and then he laughed. The sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter. The pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. I love that question. Is everything sad going to come untrue? We, we have our struggles. But one day, it will seem, hear me say, it will seem as if they are untrue. Why? Hindsight has a way of making things clear, doesn't it? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the day when, when you stand before the king and you're glorified in his presence and you look back on the suffering of this world 
And even though you couldn't understand it why you endured it, you look back and you see the purpose. You see the compassion and mercy of the Father. Because even in the hardest of times, church, He's making you like Christ. You see, you see the plan. You'll see the purpose. You'll see the desire of a father. Of the father who wants you to be like him. What a day. What a day that will be, church. Again, I think sometimes we think, man, if I just wish God could do it without the suffering. But we've all learned the most in the sufferings, haven't we? It's in the hard times, in the struggles that we learn. And so I would just come back to last week. If you're suffering today, be patient. Be ready. Jesus is coming. And because he's coming, be holy. Read through the Bible and see the prophets. Read through Job and see the mercy and compassion of God. We'll see next week. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing. Whatever it is, keep seeking him. Amen? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. We're going to sing in just a moment. I don't in any way intend to make light of your sufferings. Just because they have a purpose doesn't mean they're any less painful. The purpose makes it endurable. You, you can endure it. Because there's a purpose. Even when you don't know the purpose. You can trust a God. Who suffered in our place. We can trust a God. Who sent a son. We can trust a God who, who took a son as he hung on the cross. And though he had no sin, he made him to be sin. That we might be righteous. We can trust that God. And so I just want to call upon the church. I believe the sufferings are coming. 
the persecution increases. The days grow more evil. Without revival, I don't know what happens, but I know this. I know on the other side is glory. And I know there's a better city and there's a better place. And we just keep pressing. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the sufferings of life. And I'm sorry I didn't thank you while I was enduring them. So many times I've endured it but not trusted you. Forgive me. Open our eyes to see you as you are. To understand that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. You're making us like Christ. And we're being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. So until that time, let us keep our eyes on you. And help us, Holy Spirit, to be patient, to be ready, to be holy. Speak to us now, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. We're going to stand to sing, and if God's calling you to do something public, Tim and I will be here to help you with that. Let's stand together and sing. I didn't communicate well. Uh, I was going to say, let's keep, but that's okay. <laughs> Sometimes God speaks to the musicians, and it was time, right? Um, be like the clay. Would you be seated just for a moment? We need to be like the clay and trust the potter. Um, Jackie and Deborah, would you come? They're coming to join our church. Um, they were at first Alabaster for a long time, and then at a Presbyterian church um, here in town or here in town. So they're coming to join our church and they've been coming for quite some time now, several weeks, and, and have some friends that already had some connections that they've been making. So if you welcome them, would you say amen? amen. It's good to see people join the church, and we just rejoice in that. And I want to ask you at the end, if you don't mind standing right here and let people come by and meet you, okay? And you can be seated just for a moment. I want to do something that I had not planned. Ronnie, come here. Um, 
I just want us as a church to pray for Ronnie. It's hard enough to, I can't imagine losing a wife and, and then right after losing your mom. And so um, I know what it is to lose a mom. I don't know the other side and I don't want to know. But I wanted us as a church to pray for our brother. And so um, if you'll stand with me and, and let's pray. And oftentimes when we dedicate someone, we just hold our hands out. And so I just want to ask you if you'd hold your hand out to our brother and pray for his strength. And let's pray. God, I thank you for Ronnie. I thank you for his life. I thank you for the way he leads me and us to your throne week after week after week. And I thank you, God, that he has lifted us up today even though he is heavy. And I just pray that you would give him your strength. That you would fill him with your spirit and with your fruit. And that you would bless him in these days. Thank you for his mom's long life. Thank you for his brothers. And I just pray, God, that you would strengthen this foster family. Thank you for Ronnie. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, Ronnie. We'll be at the doors. Come by and meet our new guests, and our new members, excuse me. We're so glad y'all were here. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I really am.